Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. Yanni. There's my face. <laughs> Hi, Yanni. Oh. Hi, babe. Oh, my gosh. Just, this, this is, is awesome. the best. It's kind of like the day after a slumber party <laughs> without the fatigue. Yes. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. We're really excited. I'm so excited. And also, I'm excited because, you know, when you are friends with someone, Mm-hmm. there's so much you never know about like never and then you get to have like a special conversation and then oh my gosh you you learn so much and I love those moments mm, me too so that's why I'm like especially excited I know Melody and I were talking about this conversation and then I had to start thinking about like what would we talk about with you and I was like anything <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about everything. I love it. Let's. <laughs> I prepared myself just because y'all know I'm not a morning person unless I have to be. You are really pulling it off, though. You look fresh as a daisy. <laughs> I have been up for an hour and a half. <laughs> what? Yes, because otherwise I would look like death and sound like a frog. And I was like, I can't do oh this my to my girls. Gosh. So I need to like. Wow. You are a real professional. Is this what you do? Is this what you have to do for work? Yes. Everything except I'm not on with you guys. So that's the difference. Like physically I'm on, but I'm not like doing the Yanni King Munchine thing right now. I'm just hanging out, but that would be the added thing later of like, you know, (laughs) spark up the personality a little bit. How early do you have to get up? Uh, when I'm shooting, it could be 5.30 call or 5.45, which, and usually that's like the beginning of the week because you've had the weekend. And so they can pretty much start as early as they need. That's when I'm like, I have to have a really strict morning regimen so that I can mentally I'm excited for work anytime I'm on set anytime I'm doing a job so it's not hard to get me out of bed but physically I need to like get at least eight to ten hours of sleep (laughs) so that I could like be present yeah absolutely but you know when you're saying that it reminds me when I first met your mom (laughs) it was a really long time ago you guys and sushi Mama Phyllis told me all about Yanni (laughs) and about her going to the performing arts school. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, isn't this just sort of your lifestyle your whole life? You get up and you get ready to like be ready for anything. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because I sometimes think about football players or, or any sport really that we were, we were just watching winning time 
Are you guys watching that? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, it's about the Lakers and the beginning of their franchise becoming like, you know, the fancy franchise it is. And I just think about athletes and the gearing up of like playing a game and you don't, you have no idea what the game is going to be like. You don't know what your opponents are going to throw at you, but you know what you can do. And so you just have to have confidence in that and like the excitement. And I look at them and I'm like, you have to be dropped in. Like you have to be completely present at every moment because things change on the fly and someone throws something crazy at you. And so I think about that with acting in a similar way that like, you're right. I do have to kind of get up and be ready for anything. Even, even though with this, you have lines and you know where to stand and where to look hopefully you're open for anything to be thrown at you. I think that's where the magic happens when you're not so rehearsed and it's not so much Mm. um, memorized that you don't have room to play and be present. Mm. So that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm excited to see you're both arriving where you are in that moment in that day, you know, who knows whatever you're coming from at home. And so that energy is what you meet and then you play with that. So it's fun when that happens and you're like, oh, I didn't know that's where this moment could go. That's cool. But yeah, it's a lot. It's my whole life has been dedicated to doing this. And like jokingly, I say I don't have any other skills, but I kind of don't like this is, <laughs> this is what I do the best, I think, of the skills that I have. I'll say that. But you're always such a Jill of all trades. I mean, you really do get behind everything that's going on, not just when you're on a job, Mm -hmm. but like your preparation and the people in your life. It doesn't seem to me like you ever run out of the strength to show up for everyone. So it's not just being an actor. No. That this is who you are. You prepare for everyone. Yes. I was just having a really sweet conversation with a friend the other day. And it's so funny because we were talking about spiritual practice and, and he had come out years and years and years ago before he and his then girlfriend, now wife had moved out here and he stayed with me for two weeks. And he used to watch me like go into, I converted a walk-in closet into a prayer room. And he would like watch me go in my closet and say my prayers. And and he was like, finally one day he was like, you going in your prayer (laughs) closet? And he's like, yeah. He was like, what is that about? And I do not remember saying this to him, but he told me the other day, he was like, I looked at him and I said, if you don't have a spiritual practice in this city, doing what we do, you will get lost. And I thought about that now. And I realized that my friends are also my spiritual Mm. practice. Like I don't, it's not just me having my faith and praying and doing that walk. I also then extend that to who I surround myself with. So just like you were saying, Jules, that like I have the energy to, to give and to support and to be that that's because spiritually that's what I need. And I, and I find that in the friendships and the sisterhoods and family that I've cultivated through my life. And then especially through being in LA, almost 18 years. Wow. October 20th will be my 18th anniversary of being in Los Angeles. Insane. And meeting you that day. (laughs) 
I cannot. Yes. And then moving in together, we literally met each other that night and we're like, want to be roommates? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then moving in together like three months later. (laughs) I really love that. I love when that happens. Yes. I thought about that the other day, how I don't remember how I moved here. I don't remember the the thinking on it. I don't remember the like weeks of like the things we do now when we're making big decisions. I, I don't remember having that. I remember a friend saying like, you just need like five grand to like get yourself settled and find a job and move out here. And then I got a residual check from a commercial I did that was exactly five grand. And that was it. That was like all I needed to have that connection be made that I needed to move to LA, but I didn't have anything. It seems like you had such a knowing about it because when you were down here, you were just kind of scoping the scene and you were like, yep, yep, yep. And I could see in your head, you were like, this is what I'm doing now. Yes. It was so clear that I didn't, yeah, I had, it was, there wasn't any other plan. I think, you know, at the time there were three shows shooting in New York or the West coast or or the East coast. And um, now there's 40 shows being shot in New York, but at the time it was like law and order and sex in the city. And I think Sopranos, like that was kind of all we had. And I had done two out of three of those. And I just kind of felt like if I'm making this decision to do film and TV, I kind of have to go to the hub. So that was very clear that that had to be my next move. And then I just, jumped. I just was like, this is, if this is what I have to do, there's no other choice. I didn't really give myself another option. So yeah, that was, that was ingrained in me that that was it. But Yanni, how do you, like one thing that has always struck me as unique about you is you don't let the industry define you. You don't let the industry decide your wins or failures. You don't let the industry in i don't know how you you work you work with it but you don't seem to depend on it for anything yeah and it's not a self-reflection where what in the world how where's that strength that what is that that was grown i mean listen i would love to say that's just who i've always been in my life but it's not. I was fully early in my career. I was really jealous and really competitive. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that whatever I was doing needed to be better than the next person. And it didn't serve me in any way. It was awful. I was miserable. And I realized that because that's not really who I am outside of auditioning and hustling and doing all of that networking, which drives me nuts. The thought of that, that's not who I am. That's not organically me. I love connection. I love people. I love women and sisterhood and that, you know, camaraderie and feeling like a colleague and not a competitor. And so it wasn't reconciling with who I was in my life. And, and because this work brings me so much joy, I had to understand that half of the work is auditioning. Half of the work is being in the room and, and in a sense competing, but it's not with the other person that you're sitting next to. It's a lot with yourself, but just challenging yourself to be better and do better. So once I learned that part of it mm-hmm. and realized that it was the business telling me I should be that old way and not myself, not 
what I know is spirit and universe and God. Then I was like, oh, cool. I don't need any of anything else that you are telling me to do and be. So that was years, not overnight at all, but that was years of kind of brushing off what I had learned and what I had picked up and keeping what served me and throwing away what didn't. And, and then realizing that I do get artistically fulfilled from this work, but I find fulfillment in so many other things and really people, people fulfill me up having, you know, experiences. It's always been my thing of like, when people like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I want an experience. I don't need stuff. Stuff is cool. I love stuff, but it's not, it doesn't stay with me the way a lunch would, the way a tea would, you know, a, a walk, like that just having moments with people fills my cup. Mm. So I, mm. I think once I found a way to do that through the work, then everything else. And I'm also not, I've never looked typically like what Hollywood needs or, or has said they needed, except for one experience. I've never had anyone tell me that I needed to change anything. So I've just been really blessed because I know a lot of people have had harsh conversations with the business and people in the business that like fix this, tweak that, tuck that. And so I've just ridden that wave of like, I'm going to just show up then. (laughs) If you're not telling me not to, I'm going to be there. Jans, you've been doing this for 18, well, more than 18 years, but you've been doing it for 18 years here. And you said that you don't really feel like you could do anything else, right? Yeah. So does it ever freak you out that like, what if this doesn't work? Or at any point in this journey where you found so much of yourself, I mean, all these things that you've learned about yourself, like this knowing that you've developed does not come easy. No. Like all of that is serious night of the, what do they call it? Dark night of the soul kind of work. Ooh, yes. And so how have you gotten to a place now where you're comfortable with that, where this is an industry that is constantly changing and evolving and is critical and creates this false sense of competition and in a lot of ways is materialistic. And then you're in the land of where everyone just comes here to get discovered and there's always the newer, the hotter, the whatever. Mm. So how have you found your center? Yes. And all that, like, how do you, how do you have knowing of who you are in that? And how do you feel assured that being this is the only thing you want to do and that you're really good at, that you can keep doing it forever? I think, so some of my earliest memories of like being a four-year-old in the house with characters, my whole life before it became a profession, before I even knew it was a profession, I was doing this in the house, just creating characters alone, like full on scenes by myself. I would pour myself like two fingers of iced tea. And like, that would be like my whiskey. And I'd have my like scenes that I'm, oh, like full dramas in my house all the time in the mirror making faces just it's just in my dna to do this and my dad beautifully puts it he's like whatever side job you have they're just investors in your art that's it so just keep getting investors and i'm like yeah 
that's the ticket. So like thinking of it that way and not thinking of it like, oh, I'm working at this restaurant or I'm bartending or I'm catering or whatever my side or I'm a receptionist temp job, whatever my side thing was, it did used to kind of pull me out and feel like I wasn't, you know, that imposter syndrome of like, I'm not really an actor because I'm not doing it full time or whatever. And then once he told me that and shared that with me, I was like, oh, right. That's exactly what it is. It keeps me here. So there's that aspect of like, as long as I have that, I'm never leaving. Like I'm not going anywhere. And then the other part of it is I will do this in every way, in any way in my life. I will find a way to do this. Whatever the business is doing is what's the business going to do. Like there's mergers and, you know, stocks dropping and like things going under. That's that's what it is. Are we are we putting up a community play down the street? Great. I'll be a part of that. Are we doing a staged reading in your living room? Awesome. So it's I think a redefinition of success that I had to come to in order to understand that I was already successful. And it was this last summer I thought about like I just imagined what 13 year old Yanni would think about this Yanni and she would be blown away. I'm like living in Los Angeles and I have great friends. I'm married. Never thought about, I didn't really care about that, but that's cool. That's amazing. I never thought that would happen. And then I'm working as an actor. I've been on television. I've been in movies that have been in a theater. What? Nuts. Like that alone is like, and I think as adult Yanni, I'm like, you know, constantly thinking about the next move and like, how do I strategize? And it just sometimes takes a second to just breathe and sit down and think I've already done my own wildest dreams. I've already done it. I'm already successful. So everything else that happens on top of this is gravy, truly. And I had to have a spiritual practice. You know, before I moved to LA, before I became a Baha'i, I just had a Yanni Loves God connection. That was it. I would pray and I would just drop in and we learned how to meditate really, really young. Mm. So we always knew what meditation was. We always knew what our connection was. We always knew that no one could sway that outside of us. So as our, you know, I would go to yoga with my mom as a kid and we would do Kundalini, not like, you know, fancy power yoga, <laughs> but it was like, we were really like learning a spiritual practice. And so I've always had that in me and could find it anywhere. Your mom introduced you to a bunch of spiritual practices, oh, right? Oh man, um, we were everything. There was that. We also did Agna Hocha, which I don't even know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what it was. But I know we would sit in the living room and she would have this iron pot and she would get this like dried cow dung and ghee and rice, dried rice. And she'd like light it on fire and we'd just chant. I don't know what we were doing, but I loved it. And we we would like look at, she would just have us sitting around it and look in the fire and just like see where it takes us. And we would just do that. And it was every sunset. We would do it every night. Where if we were like out running in the street, she'd call us in and it's like, oh, it's time for Agna Hocha. Couldn't tell you what it is. No clue. But it was just like, and then, you know, we were Buddhists for a while, while, excuse me. And then a lot of Native American traditions we would do and we'd go to sweat lodges and this Lakota woman in Jersey, we would go out there. And that was the first time I learned how to do a sweat. And like, so we've done so many things. 
I knew I could find it wherever I was. I knew I could just like, wherever I needed to go, I could pick something up spiritually and, and be satisfied with that. But when I came out here and hung out with you, Mel, and going to women's gatherings in Baha'i Faith, and like that, when that became my core faith, I then kind of felt invincible because I felt like I could do and handle anything this business throws at me because I know exactly who I am. And this is not the business to not know who you are. It's not the business to be unsure about who you are. You have to know because otherwise they'll tell you over and over and over again until you believe that that's who you are. And Adam, my husband always says, give them you until it's you they want. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to show up. It's, it's not at all easy. And I've fought it for a long time, but then I'm, I have no choice now. I have like, this is the body I'm in. This is the voice I have. This is my hair. This is my skin. This is, there's no changing any of this. And I don't want to first, like, I don't want to change any of that. So I think what keeps me here, what keeps me not ever giving up is that like, I will do this in my living room. I do it in the shower. Like I will always be an actor. If you want to pay me for it. Awesome. That's great. I'll take it but it's not going to stop me from being creative and doing this. Hmm. I wonder if, um, you know, you seem really versatile and you were saying that when you moved to LA that you weren't the stereotypical whatever that they were looking for. And so you just showed up as you, but you know, I wonder, have you ever, uh, had a sense of a role that you feel really strong, like I need to bring this. This is something that I feel like called to bring. Are there aspects of a role? Because if you've been rehearsing your whole life for something, I've noticed when people rehearse for something, it's because it's part of them for real. Yeah. And they're just trying to find a way to express it. So when the time comes, they're ready. What role would you like to bring if, you know, you had that option. Ooh, I love that. I would love to be the type of person that's like, I keep envisioning this like survivalist who like knows her way through the woods and truly is like self-sufficient, can like take care of herself and people around her and is also really wise and well-versed in whatever the moment needs. I love the idea of this character and the the ability to play someone that has seen a lot of things, been through a lot of stuff, and is kind of like guiding a journey. Like, come on, I'll show you the way I've been in these. I don't know why her voice sounds like that. But. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I also, it hasn't your life been that, just not in the desert or in the wilderness? <laughs> So you're kind of bringing, you know, you guys, that reminds me, I wonder if you feel the same way. Feel free to tell me you don't. But you know what I've always thought of when I see actors, our culture, especially in the U.S. and I think the U.K. too, I think in my generation, people grew up living vicariously through actors and they watch so much television and so many films that I feel like we developed a false culture of critics. I think that's what we've become, a culture of critics. Mm. We're so used to watching instead of participating. 
and you know making changes. We just talk yeah. about what we don't yeah. like and what they did wrong. But actors kind of catch us up. I feel like on the upside of the tabloid culture mm-hmm. is that we also hear about remarkable, meritorious things that actors have done, both on the screen to prepare for something really difficult, like a role like you're describing, yeah, but also like off the screen. Mm-hmm. And so you know how like younger siblings, they don't have to make the same mistakes as their older siblings? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I think that's what actors allow humans. Mm. They allow us to see the story and go, wow, I kind of relate to that. Do I want to do that? Or do I want to do this different? Yeah. And so the the actors that sparkle like you do, Yanni, mm. in so many ways, I mean, even just from when you started in your industry till now, how many mm-hmm. roles for Black women were available when you first arrived? I mean, it's so funny because I remember when Halle Berry won the Oscar, I was watching it at home in our brownstone in Brooklyn. So there were, most of us were on the second floor and a few family members were on the third floor. <laughs> and my aunt yells down the stairs. Well, that was it. <laughs> I hope you didn't want one of those because that was it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I understood why she said that because who was before that? What, Hattie McDaniels? how many years before, like it, it made sense that like that, that kind of did feel like that was it. And then my mom, I think when I was like 16, cut out a piece of an article in a magazine talking about how many roles, like out of 10 roles, seven go to men, three go to women, one goes to a black woman. And this was, you know, years and years ago, but, and I was 16. So I wasn't even in the business. I was still in high school. I was still learning the craft, but these were just their ways of being like, be careful. What's your plan B? Like, cause it's very possible this doesn't work. And I don't think that was their criticism or observation of my craft. I think that was their observation of the business and it was correct. Like it was not a welcoming space for black women and then add on being a dark skinned black woman. And I had locks at the time which is not, no one was doing that. My one role model was Whoopi Goldberg. That's Mm -hmm. it. That was the only person at the time. And growing up, I was obsessed with her. Loved her. Oh my God, I love her Jumping Jack Flash is one of my favorite movies. (laughs) I like, it's ingrained in my memory because she wasn't a black woman lead and every scene wasn't about her being a black woman. And it wasn't, And at that time, like every movie she's done, I'm like, she's breaking so many barriers. And, you know, and and yes, there were other women around, but I think for me, she resonated so deeply because of also her hair and all of that. And I just was like, somehow it just worked. Somehow it just all worked. And I think because it worked so much for me and I wasn't trying to look like someone else. Wigs and weaves were never my jam. I just somehow never got into that. I have so many friends that did and it works for them and it worked for them, but it just never was my thing. And I also think there was a a part of the ignorance that was kind of floating me through of just not having experienced 
so much of that door closing because of what I looked like in the beginning. I think I was protected, honestly, because I didn't audition a lot at all. I didn't test a lot for pilots the way a lot of my friends were testing. Looking back, of course, at the time I was devastated and I was like, nobody, I'm not getting auditions and I'm not, but I think it was protecting me because the things that I, that were coming my way worked Mm. and accepted me. And I remember the very first time I feel like I saw my craft supersede the look was I auditioned for an episode of CSI and on paper, it said on my sides, blonde 5'8 swimmer. And I was like, totally, that's me. <laughs> like, why did they? I, like, I didn't understand how I got this audition. No clue. But they were like open. And I go in and I audition and I book it and I'm on set. And the woman playing my mom, we're chatting. And she was like, yeah, it was crazy. I don't know what happened, but they already had the mom cast and they had like this last minute change of recasting the mom. And I was like, oh, that's because they had a very specific idea of what the daughter was going to look like. And then it was me. And so then they had to not have a white mom and recast it. And I was like, that's really cool. (laughs) Like that was probably the first time that I was like, oh, I can just be great. Yes. And let them figure it out. Great. I don't, I don't have to go in and try to like hide the size of my boobs or not be as loud as I am or my cackle laugh. Like maybe I can talk. No, I can just go in, be my full self. Mm-hmm. You figure it out because you know, I'm great. And, and again, that took very many years, a lot of years, <laughs> but I think that has me now not looking at the statistics of who's getting what role and how many because I just cannot care about that. I have a, a larger connection. I have something on my team that is beyond this business. And so that's what I rely on and not like how many of us get to go for this one role. That's why I love, for example, like Shonda Rhimes is so famous for choosing characters based on characters yes. and actors filling the role of the character rather than creating like racial descriptions what yes and it it works it works <laughs> yes yeah. and anytime i audition for sassy black fill in the blank and i mean like recently this is still happening like last week i just don't do it i don't i, I mean i do the audition but i don't do that because that's not me and it's as much in my wheelhouse as i allow it to be it's not a thing I necessarily do well. And I know women that can do that well and pull that. And that's not necessarily them either, but they have a bit more access to it than I do. And so I just give them my version and I take all of the stereotype out of it because it's just lazy writing to say sassy anybody or, you know, attitude or it's just, you don't, that that just clues me into, you have no idea who she is. And so I'll tell you. This makes me think about so many things, but it's so much of how we all go through this, where it's the industry versus where we are, you know? And, you know, so many of us like have these inner gifts and these, you know, these expressions that are dying to come out that are so good and so powerful, but they butt up against 
these archaic systems. Yes. And even when Julie asked you, like, what role do you see yourself playing now? I remember years ago, like maybe 10 years ago, I think we still lived together, maybe more than that. And you wanted to be a superhero. (laughs) And no black superheroes, especially women, existed then. I mean, this was like pre-Black Panther, pre-everything. Yeah. And it just made me have a full circle moment like, oh, my God, we all have this radar, Mm -hmm. this inner radar, like this sort of forecaster in us Mm -hmm. that sees where we can slot in, you know, from a soul place, not a superficial place, but it's like a soul place. Like, I can tell you that this color will be cool next year or this style, or maybe people are going to start wearing baggier things or slimmer things. Julie can tell us all about human trends tomorrow, you know, like what, what to expect. And you have this thing where you know what character you can be. And from the inside. And she sees it. We need it. Yes. But it's crazy that you were so ahead I feel like in a lot of ways, you've always been so ahead. And it's so frustrating to me that these industries have to catch up to us. And I mean, eventually it did occur, you know, like there was something that happened, but you would have been the perfect superhero. Yes. 15 years ago or whenever that was, you would have been so (laughs) perfect. And so there's this part of me that kind of mourns that, you know, but and not to say that you won't be it. You've evolved now and you'll slot into the next thing. But the point is, you have to keep going at it until people are ready, until they're ready for whatever it is that that you're in. It's so true. Well, like your last show. Yes, I was just going to say. So Napa, oh, my God, that I think was such a I mean. I grew leaps and bounds before we even started shooting because, you know, we're all in this pandemic and everyone's surviving in whatever way they can. And so, yeah, I was, I had, you know, a couple of years before, you know, Adam and I were talking and he was like, we'll get you a trainer. We'll like get you ready for like whatever, you know, and I was like, yeah, we're going to like get all on top of it. And this is like, 2018, 2019. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, I'm not doing anything physically at all. And I put on weight and 2021 comes and I, well, I definitely thought I had more time to like get back in gear, whatever that looked for me. And then I booked this series and I'm terrified to be on camera looking the way I look because I'm thinking, I need to get back to me. I don't feel great in my body. I don't, I want to just like, Ooh, give me a couple of months to like just get to a place. And it is not about losing weight. I have to say that it is not about losing weight. It is about feeling good. And Julie, you said once to me about myself, that it's about feeling lighter. And I realized that, yeah, it's not about pounds being lost. It's a lightness in my body that I am used to, that I can, that I feel comfortable walking the world with. And I didn't have it at that time. I got to find it because I'm, I'm doing this show. And I realized that all of the tweaking or changing or 
somehow modifying that we all do in our lives to get to where we think is going to be the place, then something comes along and tells you, you are ready now. And I had to trust that. And then I start shooting and I'm getting to that place and, you know, getting my morning routine, I'm getting my prayer routine down and I'm getting my, doing my water and I'm walking around neighborhoods and I'm like, okay, I'm getting to myself. But I realized that I am representing a type of woman that I've never been able to represent before and who has confidence in her body and isn't a zero and gets to be fully who she is. And it's not talked about. It's just, this is how I show up. And even working with the stylist, she was like, let's show off your body. Let's like celebrate these curves. Let, and I was like, Ooh, what we, I don't, cause I've been told on sets before can't show your cleavage because only the lead can look sexy. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll wear this tent then. That's cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm just here for this one episode. I'm not trying to rock the boat. That's fine. And I've been told that over the years, like, how can we manipulate this so that it doesn't look like your boobs are the size they are? <laughs> um, and this show was like, we're not doing that. We're going to celebrate who you are. And that for me was a turn so that now every audition I do, I wear the thing I want to wear that I feel like expresses the character first. And if that means that they, they're looking extra big today, then that's <laughs> what it's going to look like. If they're covered, then they're covered. But it's not coming from a place of, you know, I have to make other people feel comfortable. Right. And also... It's so strange that that's part of a role that we've gotten so out of touch with nature and the variables in human bodies that we literally think there's only one role for a woman with big breasts. Are you joking me? Well, wait a minute. What about like half a continent? (laughs) Everybody just gets to be a a mother, a sister, a cousin, a friend, but not here. Not You are just this role. So I, I think that also is one of those roles that has demonstrably changed. And that's what one of the things you did on that show. One of the things I love about that show is it actually took us away from any stereotypes. Yes. Period. Yes. Who people are, what they're capable of, who's the good guy, who's not the good guy, who you never figured it out. I, I love that. Yeah. And that, I think has stayed with me for my own life and path and, and craft. And Mel, speaking of the superhero thing, it's has come up recently. And I think, and I, I, similar to what you were saying, I didn't, I, I was like, that's cool. It's, that's not my thing. I still in my heart still love it and love the idea and think of it, but I have accepted that the industry is not there to see me as a superhero, but it is, I I mean, I'm not being a superhero yet, but it's like, it's things have opened up and opened my eyes that I'm like, Oh, I think we're starting to challenge those boxes we've created and put ourselves in as an industry. And more and more audiences are saying, I don't want to see that anymore. And by way of not watching it, (laughs) by way of like, that's weird. That show that we spent so much money on 
really thought everyone was going to gravitate towards that. And they did. And I wonder why. Oh, because you're completely out of touch with what's happening in society and what we look like right now. And I feel like that call is being heard more and more for inclusion beyond race, beyond color, beyond size. But, you know, neurodiversity is ha- happening. And there's what do you more mean by neurodiversity? What's neurodiversity? So people that um, someone that may have autism or oh, oh, someone, oh, yeah. right. Someone that hundreds okay. of different things, totally. but um, got you. We would be considered neurotypical, but I'm seeing that more and more and seeing definitely not enough represent- representation of the disabled community, but a little bit like doors. Or, there's effort being made. And I'm just like, keep pushing. I'm like, can we get one Persian lead in yes. something i've never seen a persian man or woman represented in a show watch oh my god what is that show oh the expanse oh, watch the expanse the expanse and then there's another show the invasion and i think it's on apple tv i'm i'm almost positive it's the invasion mel there is it's a there's a persian family at the center and the wife is like badass like she's a doctor and she's like what? oh it's, it's it's wonderful yes okay i'm doing i want to call it the invasion i'm pretty sure that's what it's called but it's it's super cool but it, but just like that like like you were saying the frustration of all of our industries being so slow to looking like and reflecting what the world has been like there aren't more of us, we're, we've just not been acknowledged. Mm. And don't you think that comes from starting to define things that pertain to something more than just what we've already established as a truth? So like we learned something and that's that works. That's important. That's great. Like empirical science behind medicine. It's important, mm. but it's relative also. Yes. Until we do the next level of research and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, well, we used to put leeches on people, but we don't do that anymore. But it was the course of action. And if you balked against that at that time, you were one of those patients. Yeah. I think we see that in multiples in all of our industries. Even when I first moved here, um, I reached out to all these under one roof clinics and said I would be so happy to work for them to just be a troubleshooter so mm-hmm. instead of everybody seeing every kind of doctor and practitioner I'd be super happy to use my gift to like streamline it mm-hmm. and they were like yeah no <laughs> we're not interested and then later all those doctors became my clients yeah but I think it's because the times changed. Yeah. And it was not seen as lesser than it was seen as a consultation. Yeah. And it's, I think when we move away from power created roles, mm. like bodies, design, fashion, anything, what can be, what can't be, it's when we start seeing that the world is bigger than we made it. Yes. Yeah. So much bigger. In the medical field, even with, with like midwifery coming back in such a like, trendy way <laughs> but it's like this is new this is like yes exactly and this is this is what has been happening it's just been pushed out and people are realizing like wait we've 
thrown away something that is invaluable and necessary that we need, like mm. that birthing people need to have. And like, wh- why aren't we bringing that connection back? And it's happening more and more. Something like that. I'm just like, yeah, people are waking up to who we are and our own strength, our own power that we have societally given away to other people to control and may, and to take care of as, as if we aren't capable of doing it ourselves. Status quo. Even like organic food. Yeah. It's like this yeah. apple was grown on a tree. <laughs> and uh, it's like you have to pay $9 for the apple now because they didn't spray it with poison. And it's yeah. like... What technology <laughs> got us like, what? When I learned what heirloom was, because I thought <laughs> heirloom, I really thought heirloom was like, ooh, this oh. is a new fit. It's literally just seeds that weren't destroyed by Monsanto yes. or whoever. <laughs> Wait, it's just good seeds? It's just seeds? Yeah, it's just we've just gone back. <laughs> and we, we in the States have gone back. But what is so super humbling is the rest of the world just kept on using it. Yeah. That's why I said midwifery is expensive here, but not anywhere Not else. anywhere else. It's just, <laughs> it's been happening the whole time and they've been having, you know, safe deliveries thanks to midwifery. Yeah. But, you know, we turned it into something unacceptable. And now we're just saying, mm-hmm. oh, I take that back. It's very valuable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, in this society, learning that money is the value of everything. And that, and when I say that, I mean, that's how we show someone's value. And so it isn't enough. This industry and the entertainment industry, it's hard to uh, not be attached to that because I get told so many times, like I remember a year ago, a year and a half ago, or 2019, before the pandemic, I had been with this agency for like six months and with my manager for like six months and I'm not booking anything and I'm, it's driving me nuts. And I'm auditioning like five times a week, like a lot. And I'm stressed out. And my manager finally calls me and he's like, I just want you to know you've been in the mix and pinned, which is like, which means like you and three other people, um, for everything you've auditioned for. And I was like, And he was like, so I just want you to know, we are, we love you. Like you're doing great. I just had to tell you that. Cause I, cause years ago I told my people like, don't ever tell me when I'm in the mix or pin because it just comes and goes so frequently. I don't want to get attached. So just tell me when I'm getting close or booking something I'm available. So when he told me that I forgot that I told them that. So I wasn't getting that message in those six months. And I felt like I was kind of acting into a void. There's so much value in that, but it's hard when a check isn't in his hand to say like, this is, you know, you've done the work or whatever. So I had to kind of recalibrate that. Like, it's not, yes, you, money is necessary. We live by it. We, this is how we survive and pay bills and all of that. But to really remember the value in other things in this business so that that can also sustain me. And it brings me back to the value that we have with the people in our lives and letting that sustain you. Like, like going back to that thing my friend told me, I said to him, I don't remember that. I don't remember him watching me go into my closet prayer room. I don't remember saying that to him. And it just hit me like, we don't know who we are in other people's lives and how we move and how they see how we move. And 
the things that we're just giving of ourselves freely that we don't think about how that impacts other people. And so I'm like coming back to finding the value in that without it being attached to money, because it can get really dark when that's all you have to quantify your worth and what you are able to contribute. And it's hard to combat that when everything around us is telling us that's the only way to be valued is through this, you know? That's so true. Yeah, I was going to say that the greatest role of all (laughs) is showing up. Yes. Just for free. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's this philosophy I remember from years and years ago of, you know, most of society believes that, you know, if you have, then you'll be able to do and then you'll be this person. And the true way of being is to be this person, you know, then then you do whatever, you know, comes to your heart and then you'll have this thing. So the example would be like, people are like, oh, if I just had enough money, then I would be this really great person. And then I could like give to charity or volunteer. And the flip is if you know who you are and you are connected to that, Right. And that's the B part of it. Then you go from that place and then you volunteer or lend a hand or whatever the the doing that you think is grand is. That's when you'll have the other stuff after that. But I remember learning that and it blew my mind because, you know, I am constantly fighting that mentality. I'm constantly fighting the once I get, then I will mentality. and. Whenever I, you know, I have a a friend that's a little bit behind me in her career. And so I'm like chatting with her and helping her along and and hearing from her later how valuable those conversations are. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I just I gave of myself and of my own knowledge and it's helping someone along. That's actually me doing the thing I've always wanted to do. And I don't need the stuff to do that. So I keep toying with that and and kind of going back to that to try and remember to ground myself Mm -hmm. in being first. And also just if you want to do the thing, you can do the thing. You don't need you don't need. I mean, I often think about that, like anything that you could do rich, you could do poor. I mean, but if you're not doing it when you're poor, you're not going to do it when you're rich. Yes, yes. That's the thing I think that, well, and again, that's a societal thing. We're seeing that, you know, it's really hard to be of service or to be told to be of service when you feel like you are in need of service. So I hold space for that because I do understand that, like, how do you tell someone that needs something to then give of themselves when they're so focused on their need? But but that is the way. Yeah. Well, we don't talk about how much we receive by giving. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's no greater receipt than to after you give. Yes. Like what you get in return, like how you were just talking about, you, you know, the actress that you're mentoring. You get from that more than probably than she realizes. Like oftentimes I'll, I'll bring in interns 
And initially my mentality was like, I don't know if I have time for this. I don't know, you know, this is going to be a lot for me. And then as soon as I started bringing them in, I didn't realize how much more they, I was actually learning from them than they're learning from me. And I'm like, wait, are you guys getting something out of this? Because this is, I am. (laughs) That's everything. That's, That's the law of the universe, you know? I mean, where do all my trends come from? Everybody else, from looking at other people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, I feel like I'm, what I love that being in this business has done for me is I'm constantly observing people. People watching is one of my favorite things to do. And I'm observing myself because I am the instrument. And so working on whatever I, whatever I need to keep myself flexible emotionally and spiritually, I have to find my way to get there. And that whenever I feel rigid, whenever I feel anxious or feeling like I've got my blinders on of how I have to be or how something has to look is when I kind of snap myself out of it of like, wait, that's not what works for you. That's not serving you in any way. And that doesn't allow you to serve other people. And that's kind of where I go of like, oh, I need to be of service. I'm too much in my own head. I'm too much focusing on my own thing. And I'm trying to force something that clearly isn't supposed to happen right now. So I need to step back and let go and focus on someone else. And every time, every time it snaps me out of it. Oh, so good. And thank you also for um, sharing so much about your process. Because I think that it helps other people try to walk those footprints and find the version of it. So. I love it. So appreciate yes, you. Yes, thank you. So generous Yanni, thank you here. so much for all your gems dropped. Love you, you too. You've got to come back. I will. I will gladly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dearies, another butterfly forecast. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.